We're going to start in verse 12. Um, <laughs> I, I want to change, um, I want to maybe change or adjust maybe your paradigm a little bit this morning of the, the concept that we see throughout the scriptures of the race that we are running as believers um, or the journey that we're on as Christians, as believers, as those that follow Christ. Um, oftentimes we think about this in the context of uh, finishing the race being uh, the end of our life and getting to heaven and God saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, but I want to kind of, if you will, I want to propose a, a different angle on the idea of the race we're running and, and also um, what that race looks like. How many of you ever in your Christian walk kind of like are asking yourself like, why am I here? Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what's the purpose of me journeying through the things of, of God? How many of you have ever asked those questions before? And, and, and let's be real with each other. Those of you that are raising your hands are lying, okay? Every single one of us here have found ourselves in a position in our Christian walk where we're like, what is this race I'm running? And what am I chasing after? And what is the end goal? If the end goal is just dying, why doesn't he take me now? Come on. Like, if, if, if the end goal of all this is dying and going to heaven, why don't we just do it now? Like, if, there's, if we're just putting blinders on and, and pursuing an eventual death and ascension to heaven with, and being with Jesus, why doesn't he take us now? Um, you know, maybe the race is actually important. Maybe the race or the journey is, actually has meaning. And the race and the journey is not what you think it is. The race and the journey is not just, I'm going to keep walking forward and doing everything I can to be a good boy or a good girl. That's not the journey. That's not the race. If that was the journey, then God would wait, and he might be waiting a while, but he would wait till maybe I had an hour of, of sinless time. You know, he'd gather the angels in heaven. They'd be watching over me and 59 minutes and 30 seconds passed. And he's like, wow, he's almost there. He's almost hit an hour of not sinning. 35, 45, 50 seconds. The countdown begins. The angels are beaming with excitement. Dan has made it an hour without committing a sin. 51, 52, 53, 59, an hour. Boom. He gives a signal to the angels, heart attack, I'm dead. I go home to heaven. That's not the race we're on. We're not just waiting around on earth to die. You know, to be called up to glory. Well, one of these days, I'm going on to glory. I can't wait until they take me home. I'm making this up just to the sound of a Southern Gospel song. It's not just about graduating to heaven. Do you realize that if all we're doing is waiting to die, to go to heaven, that we're actually condemning billions of people around the world to hell? Because the only way they're going to hear of the goodness of God is if you're living here on the earth. I told you I went to the restroom. Okay. Sorry, Aaron. My belly was hanging out. You're welcome. <laughs> so I should have kept that one in. Okay. 
so let's, let's dive into this, because I don't have a ton of time this morning. Let's dive into this and try to understand what this journey in this race is all about. Okay, let's do that together. Hebrews 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limbs which is lame will not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and sanctificate without the sanctification. No one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. This is an interesting portion of scripture together. If you read it, there's a lot happening here. And that's why I'm going to break it down with uh, the mirror translation, as I've been doing a lot lately. Um, it just seems like, okay, the, somebody's preparing for something. They're strengthening their hands. They're making sure their knees aren't feeble. Making sure their paths are straight. Uh, we don't want our limbs to be out of joint. We want to be healed. We want to pursue peace with man. And we want to make sure that we don't fall short of the grace of God. We've got all these things that are kind of vague for a moment until we dive in and understand what the Lord is saying when it comes to actually practically applying them to who we are today. So let's go back to this portion of scripture and look in the mirror together. Shake off your weariness, loosen your limbs, catch your breath, get rid of all the obstacles that cause possibly, could possibly cause you to stumble and sprain an ankle. Don't let a recurrent injury force you out of the race. Recover and carry on running. Don't allow old legalistic mindsets to trip you up again. We're beginning to see, for a moment, we're beginning to see a little bit of what the direction or what the goal or what the journey and race is actually looking like. Uh, because we can begin to see the picture being uncovered, because we can tell by what would trip us up. So in this case, what would trip us up, what would prevent us from getting there would be old legalistic mindsets. So we can begin to draw some conclusions here. Now, I don't need you to, you don't have to draw a conclusion based on this because you're going to actually see it. Pursue peace with all men. True friendship can only be enjoyed in an environment of total forgiveness and innocence. This makes God visible in your life. Now, I want to stop here for a moment if I can. I'm going to take a little side note for a moment. If you are a carrier of the message of grace, grace is always partnered with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a major part of walking out and running the race of grace. If you want to journey forward in the message of releasing grace to the world around you, you're going to need to learn to forgive. Because forgiveness actually reveals an invisible God to a, vis to a visible world. Forgiveness makes an invisible God visible to the world. What if they don't deserve it? Do you remember? When you didn't? Deserve it? See, people will actually encounter the grace of God not through some miraculous Damascus Road experience. They're going to encounter the grace of God because they receive something undeserved from you. And they're going to wonder why you would let them off the hook. You actually make grace and God visible through forgiveness. 
Now, my message today is not on forgiveness, but I want you to see this as a part of the journey. If you actually learn to forgive, then it's a heck of a lot easier to say, I'm a carrier of the grace of God. And we could walk through all the things that, that forgiveness is. I don't have time for that today and what it looks like to forgive somebody. And it's funny because when you say forgiveness in church, you've got about four people amen in you and the rest of you are looking at me like, not going to do it. I know, honey, I know what he's getting ready to do. He's going to make me close my eyes and think of that one person that I refuse to forgive and then make me forgive him out loud and then we're going to go home and I'm still going to be mad at the person anyways. <laughs> Do you know forgiveness is not actually something that comes out of your mouth? It's a position of your heart. And it's not me trying really hard. It's actually something you go to God for and you say, Lord, I need you to help me change my heart towards that person. And what will actually help you change your heart towards that person is understanding how he changed his heart towards you when you didn't deserve it. Four people are like, it's so good, isn't it? And the rest of you are like, no, I will not change my heart. I get it. I get it. There's always that one or two or three people in our lives that are like on the list of the unforgivables. And if you're like me, I add one to it every week. Anybody catty here? I won't look at anybody. Anybody add anybody to the list this week of unforgivables? Thank you, Randy, for being so honest. We appreciate it. Anybody have anybody in their life where you're just like, no, they don't deserve it. They don't. Let me explain something to you. It is the easiest way to make an invisible God visible to the world when we learn to forgive. If you're a carrier of grace, you will learn to forgive. Come on. I, I can't get into all the, the crazy details of it, but um, we, we, we've seen... Um, people and couples in this church that have walked through forgiving uh, one that has committed something towards them and watching it work the way it's supposed to covered in grace is the most beautiful thing you could ever see. Holding no resentment, releasing that person. I'm telling you, and it, it, it reveals a revelation of the heart of God like you could never imagine. In those moments... I had a moment recently, somebody had done something and I was very upset and everything inside of me wanted to scream and yell and go through a laundry list of things of why they shouldn't have done that and how it was wrong and how it hurt me. And instead, in the middle of it, the Lord stopped me and said, oh, you're perfect. You've never needed somebody to forgive you. I was like, where do we start? Aren't you glad that he didn't do that the day you received him? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't say, I want to explain to you about how the last 20 years of your life have impacted me negatively and how heaven has been weeping over your decisions. Let's start with number one and then 6,400,333 reasons later, then he says, but I forgive you. He didn't rehearse it. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't even need you to talk about it. He just needs you to receive what he did. And I remember I had this moment happen a couple, a couple weeks ago to me. I was upset. I was angry. I wanted to just let the person have it. And the Lord in the middle of it asked me that question. You're perfect? I was like, 
<laughs> no. And the compassion of God came on me. And instead of being angry, I wrapped my arms around them. And I told them, if anything comes of this, I will defend you. If anything bad happens as a result of what you did, I'll have your back. I'll defend you. I'll go to war for you. Everything inside me was saying, this is the dumbest thing you've ever decided to do. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that in that moment, that's what grace looked like. Grace reveals itself in the heart of God through forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Part of our journey, part of our race. I don't know why I stopped there, but I needed to. You must understand that this is a grace race and not a law race. While we are in compete and compare mode, we create the opportunity for resentment to flourish and to poison many in the process. A performance-driven mindset triggers the law system into action and distorts the picture. Suddenly, the fleeting moment of pleasure seems more attractive than your true portion. This is exactly what happened to Esau when he traded his birthright for a morsel of meat. A performance-driven mindset triggers the law. When you think that you have to redo or relitigate or re-earn what Jesus has done and you don't accept what he's already done, you will continually put yourself and trigger the law in your life and it will create, like it says in the, in the, in the scripture before it, it will create an opportunity for resentment to flourish and, and will poison many of us in the process. When you live your life according to the law or you allow the law to be what governs your life instead of grace, the reason you can't let somebody off the hook is because you don't believe that you've been let off the hook. The reason you can't totally forgive and restore somebody who's wronged you is because you don't believe you've been restored. So it actually creates an environment for where resentment can flourish. I know this is not a message that makes you happy with me, but I'm just telling you the truth this morning. All right, I'll move on. I can read your faces. Esau's regret could not change Isaac's mind. God's mind is made up about our salvation. If you read this, it says, we're saved by faith in his finished work, not by our own works. His system of faith cannot be challenged or replaced by another law system. Sincerity does not influence God. Faith does. There's a lot of sincere people in this world, but if they don't believe that Jesus has done what he said he did, then sincerity means nothing. Do you hear me? We can be sincere in practicing the old covenant, but it does not produce life inside of us. We actually have to believe that the old has been replaced with the new and that the new has come and set us free. There's a lot of sincere believers that are full of resentment, full of anger, full of shame, full of condemnation, and you get around them and you think to yourself, but they're just so sincere. They are. They're doing it with their whole heart. But they haven't been set free by embracing what Jesus came to do. This is going to make sense to you, I promise. We're going to jump ahead to verse, I got to go fast, verse 24. So just same chapter, verse 24. So as we're looking at what this race looks like, let's discover together, if we will, what the race is about. It says it's a grace race. So let's see what that looks like. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Now, y'all, 
I know we're not in school, but I'm going, this, I'm going to go into teaching mode for a second. All right? I need you to he see this, and I need you just to, this is a, very important you pay attention, because if you miss something here, this isn't going to make sense. I need you to just engage with me for a moment. It says, I want you to pay attention to the punctuation here, to the capitalization, sorry. See to it that you do not refuse him, capital H, speaking of God, who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him, lowercase h, we are not talking about God here. So some man at some time spoke something who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him, capital H, who warns from heaven. So we have a man at some time in history that spoke something, a warning. And then we have a man, I mean, a man who is God, capital H, who spoke something else. Two different things. And his voice, capital H, shook the earth then, and now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. So when the man received something or spoke a warning, the earth was shaken. When God, capital H, now is speaking something, a warning to his people, a covenant with his people, he will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, I'm building on this. So two columns here. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken. So when he said, yet once more I speak again, there was things that could be shaken that were shaken. Things that could be removed that were removed. So that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Got it? Now we're going to really dig into this. Two things happening here. A man spoke something. God shook the earth. God spoke something else later on. And he, he shook the earth and the heavens. And we can see here that when he shook it the second time, that there were some things that remained and there was something else that was completely gone, that was shaken. Are you with me? I don't want to lose you because this is good. All right. Now let's look at it in the mirror. Jesus is a spokesman and arbitrator of the New Testament order. His blood signature sanctions mankind's innocence. This is a complete new language compared to the shadow type message of the blood sacrifice that Abel brought. We're beginning to kind of see this a little bit here. If Jesus is the crescendo of God's final message to mankind, you cannot afford to politely excuse yourself from this conversation. If you look at the NASB, it says that you cannot do not refuse him who is speaking. You cannot afford to excuse yourself from this new conversation, this new thing that God is speaking. Consider the prominent place that, oh, now we're finding out who that lowercase h is, Moses. Y'all tracking yet? Plays in the history of Israel. If you think that Moses or any of the prophets who spoke with authority on earth deserve honor, how much more should this word that God declared from heaven concerning our sonship and our redeemed innocence revealed in the Messiah himself deserve our undivided attention? 
When he introduced the prophetic shadow of what was to come, the law system, his voice visibly shook the earth. But now that the Messiah has come, the voice of God, articulated in Christ's birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection, has rocked not only the systems on the earth, but also every unseen principality in the heavens to their very foundations. Now, because the earth was shaken and heaven was shaken to its very foundations, all that man had done to separate and remove us from what God intended in the garden was restored. Are you with me? Better, better than what Adam had. He shook it to the very foundations, which means all the stuff and the sin and the crap and the separation that was there, God shook it. All that the law had written and had created in order to keep us uh, from, from repeating the same mistakes, he shook it all. And everything that could be shaken, like, like sweet, like it, when, you're, when you're at the, uh, the beach and you take a, a towel and you take the sand and you sweep it off, he shook it off and it was gone. And he restored it. Keep reading. In the words of the prophet, yet once more will I shake every unstable system of man's effort to rule himself. Do you want to know what he was shaking? He was shaking my effort and your effort to rule ourselves. Why? Because those tablets of stone were created by man. Come on. God spoke it, but man created it. Man brought it back and says, this is how we will rule ourselves. God clearly indicates his plan to remove the old and replace it with the new. And the second shaking that God spoke, not man, not man's system of ruling himself, not what Moses wrote down on those tablets, but God, when he spoke, the second shaking supersedes any significance in the first shaking. Which means, if you actually look into the Greek word there, supersedes, it actually means that it is if the first shaking never happened. It's as if the law was never spoken. It actually completely overwhelms, overcomes, eradicates, and destroys the first shaking, the first voice, and what man received from God and put on a tablet. Which means that the law was completely destroyed when God shook the earth. And when God shook the heavens through Christ. Somebody needs to get excited about this. Maybe I'm not doing again a good job of explaining it. Look here. Then it was a physical quaking of the earth. Now the very foundations of every man-made system was shaken to the core. While the heavens were impacted by the announcement of his permanent rule on earth as it is mirrored in heaven. When Jesus ascended into heaven and was sat down at the right hand of the Father and his permanent rule was established both in the heavens and on the earth and he gave you and I that authority to rule here on the earth when he left here. It says that every man-made system was shaken. Which means when you walk into your authority as a believer and in authority here on the earth, the authority that Jesus gave you and I, it shakes, destroys, and removes any man-made system. So you want to ask yourself why I get so excited every week with this message and why I look into that camera sometimes with those eyes like this? It's because I want to shake every man-made system that would hold back the message of Jesus in the cross. It's because I want people to be so free from the man-created 
lost system of governing ourselves and free in the grace of God. Because this race and journey we're on is not about, oh, I just hope I just, when I get to heaven, the Lord's just going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You know what? The Lord's not going to say, well done and good, my faithful servant, because you hid like a scared little child in the corner, hoping that you wouldn't sin and hoping that you wouldn't make a mistake. Let me tell you what the Lord's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant to, to the ones that realize that the race and the journey is about starting from the finish line, not redoing what God has already done, actually starting from the finish line, and that our race and journey is as we have discovered and received grace and mercy and love and forgiveness inside of us, our race, our journey is releasing that to the world around us. Our great, our journey is of, of, this, of what God, what Paul said, I want to finish well. He said, that, he said I want to, what we're trying to finish here is releasing the grace of God upon humanity. Our race is actually the grace of God being released, his goodness being released and declared to the world around us. I'm so sick and tired of Christians putting on Holy Ghost blinders. Come on. Under the guise of, I just want to finish well. 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 Well, you're not going to finish well, scared to death, and refusing to release that God is good. And I just got to make sure I don't mess up. Hopefully I don't. I'm so close. I'm so close. God, just take me early. Take me early. I feel like I'm going to mess up. Please just take me, Lord. Take me home to glory, glory road. Here I come. No, that's not what's going to happen. God wants you to live on this earth for as long as he's determined for you to live here so that you can release his goodness to the earth because he has, he doesn't have a plan for people to go to hell. He wants them to abide in heaven. God wants every living human being to hear the goodness and the grace and the gospel poured out through his son. And it's only one way it's going to happen. It's if you realize that this journey is not about, oh Jesus, please protect me from all the harm. And oh my gosh, it looks like there's a prostitute over there. What should I do, Lord? Oh, it's a drug addict. He looks skeevy. Oh my gosh, what? Does he have a tattoo on his neck? I, did you see? It's a cuss word. He has a tattoo on his neck. I don't know if I do. We can't get around people who have been in prison. What are we going to do with ourselves? I heard he got arrested for bank for for bank fraud. I'm not going to trust him around my children. All that stuff that Christians have done over and over and over again. No, you're on this earth to release the goodness of God. You're on this earth to release His grace to the world around you, to love humanity the way Jesus did, and to take every step forward, knowing that you're not relitigating what was done. You're starting from there and going forward. Come on, all that had been shaken, all that has been removed, all that has been taken care of. I don't want to go back to what Moses spoke. It's been shaken. Mm. I'm out of time. Thank you. Thank you. And now, I finish with this, we are fully associated in this immovable kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know what, I have a problem with people that pray, Lord, shake everything that can be shaken. He already has. Lord, just shake it, shake it. I prayed that one time, my whole life fell apart, okay? I want to shake them out of their shaking prayers, all right? I want to say, stop saying shaken. I want to just shake them out of it. Uh, Because I'm telling you, he's already shaken it. 
when the ground began to quake and the stone was rolled away and the Messiah, the ones that the prophets talked about, came gleaming and walking out of that grave without, well, come on, without a spot on him. Come on, but the, but the scars left in his hands and the scars left in his feet and the scar in his side. He walked out redeemed and restored. And because of him, we were redeemed and restored and sanctified and holy and righteous. Come on. It's already been shaken. It's shaken as much as it can be shaken, and what could not remain is gone. The law and the tablets of stone have been broken and obliterated. The Bible says that now the law is written on our hearts. And now, come on, now we live in the freedom of the expression of the grace of God in the race before us. The journey is not, come on, the journey is, is not what we've made it out to be. The journey is not let me just round the corner to glory and die. The journey is, how can I live my life as a walking, living, breathing, mirrored expression of God's goodness and grace to the world around me? It is an immovable kingdom. It cannot be moved, and it cannot be changed because you messed up. And an authority that cannot be challenged or contradicted. Let me tell you why I'm not a bit intimidated by people who don't like my message. Because with this message comes an authority that cannot be challenged or contradicted because it's truth. So I'm not confident because I think I'm a big shot. I kind of do, but that's besides the point. <laughs> Until I get around my family and then they remind me I'm not. And I also my friends and also people I meet for the first time. But anyways, there's an authority that comes with it that cannot be challenged or contradicted. And it says our participation echoes grace as we accommodate ourselves to God's delight, yielding in awe to his firm embrace. The journey is echoing grace. And walking into the full embrace of a father who loves us, not because of what we've done, but because what his son has done. That is the journey. That is what we're releasing. And we, you know, this is funny. I'm going to, I'll end with this because I think you guys got it. I was up north and the lady that my mom was talking about, um, Susan, um, she, she, she's a huge, she loves this message. She lives it. She teaches it. She has a, a Bible uh, study in her home and they just come and they just sit around and they'll, they'll watch different people that speak the message or sometimes she'll talk and she, she was just she's such a great lady just full of just prophetic insight and she grabbed me by the hands and she's talking to me and and I'm just talking about what God's been pouring out to us and we're laughing and and I she said how's it going you know and I said it's great church is you know flourishing people are getting it they're being set free. There's so many testimonies. And she said, how's the community receiving it? And I said, well, some of the community is receiving it well. And I said, but she said, what about the pastors in the community? How are they receiving it? And I said, well, there's a lot of pastors in the community that don't like the message that I'm preaching. And I said, some of them downright hate it. And she looked me in the eyes. And this is a moment that will stick with me for years. She looked at me, she said, but sinners love it. 
I have great respect for every man or woman who commits their life to pouring out to a congregation as a pastor. I have great respect. I honor those that are in our community. I recently had one of the most prominent leaders in the Christian world today um, who has just fed some misinformation about me, who called up some of other very prominent leaders to, to simply just ask me what was going on. And once I got an opportunity to show them my heart, everything was fine and they championed and got behind me. But in this conversation that I was having, I said, I, I respect this man very, very much. I honor what he's done. He's a general in the faith. But I said, but I don't set my theology based on his opinion. I can honor somebody and disagree with them. I can thank them for what they've done and built in the kingdom of God. But I don't set my theology based on what somebody who has more Instagram followers than I do thinks. I really wholeheartedly believe that God's given us a mandate as a church to release this message to the earth, not just to Sarasota, but the earth. I know it's getting late. I'm going to end right now. But that met that moment where she looked in my eyes and said, they might hate it, but sinners love it. How many of you know that Jesus came? He was motivated by one thing, to save those which were lost. Come on, to find those that were lost. It's the good news of Jesus that is going to bring those that are in the world back to a place. It's the goodness of God that will draw them to a place where they change their mind. I mentioned this in the first service, and so I'll leave you with this. The word sin in, in the scriptures in Hebrews here, it actually means without form. Or another definition of it is it means distorted. And what sin does is it's anything that would distort your understanding of who he is or who you are in him. And so when we release the message of the finished work of the cross and grace, the reason that sin is no longer a factor in people's lives is because we're beginning to clear up the distortion of who God is and who they are. And when you clear up the distortion of who God is and who they are in him, sin no longer is an issue. Sin is no longer a factor. Jesus came, he paid the price for it. And he paid the price for it so that he can remove anything that would distort our understanding of who we are or who he is. Jesus came so that this, that distortion could be taken away. Unfortunately, religion has stepped back into the first shaking of what Moses said. And modern Christianity is beginning to put the burden of something on the shoulders of people that Jesus has already taken. And as a church... We want to go back to what the Word of God says. And we want people to believe that there is nothing in their lives that should distort or change the way they feel or understand about who they are in Him or who He is in them. We want to change that thing. We want to change that distortion. We always think sin, bad things. No, sin is what distorts 
Our journey is releasing who God really is. Our journey is releasing what he's actually said. Our race is not about performance. Our race is about what we live and declare to the world around us, about who they are and who God is. You want to see people walk out of sin? Get them to understand who they are and who God is because the penalty and price for sin has been taken care of and God took what the law distorted and cleared it up in his son. That blood came to clear up the distortion of mankind. That's what the journey is. That's what we're called to release. That's who we're called to be. And then when we get to the end of the road, God looks at us. I don't know if he'll say, well done, good, faithful servant to me. He'll just be like, eh, you, get, you, you finally got it, kid. Then he looks at us and he says, well done. And in that well done is the communication of, you got it. You understood it. Your journey started from the finish line of what my son did. And you lived your life as an expression of my goodness and grace to the world around you. That's the race before us. Do you want to come? Come on, do you want to run that race with me? Stand to your feet. Block the camera. I know it's long today. Please forgive me. We're usually out of here no later than 1230, but I needed to say this today. Do you forgive me? If you don't, you're not going to reveal Jesus to me, all right? (laughs) Father, thank you for all that you've said today, what you've communicated and spoken. God, we bless. um, We bless those that heard this today. We bless and ask that their hearts would be open, their minds would receive. Lord, this revelation of what you came to shake with that second shaking through your son and what this journey and race is really all about. So, Lord, I pray and believe that as we leave here, that, God, we will realize that everything that can be shaken has been shaken and that that old performance-driven, man-made system of trying to govern and control ourselves has been done away with and that there is a new authority that comes with declaring this message to the world around us that cannot be contained, that cannot be, uh, can't be fought against, can't be damaged, can't be hurt. So God, as we leave here today, let us be bold about declaring how good you are. Let us be bold about declaring your grace. Let us be bold about not defending ourselves for our shortcomings, but, but being bold that we have been forgiven and that your grace is sufficient, not just for us, but for those that we encounter every day of our journey. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're better than we ever imagined. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go get brunch. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday night.